thanks for listening to this sermon from Cedar Springs Church. We know life is busy and it's easy to get caught up running in so many directions. At Cedar Springs, we see you and we're with you. We also understand the feeling inside of you for something deeper. In fact, we believe God created us for those deeper things and we want to help you discover them. We want to introduce you to a life lived deeply with God and with others. If you're not already, we invite you to visit us during one of our Sunday worship services. We are all working toward taking our next step to move into deeper faith and community. So come, take your next step with us. We don't want you to settle for life as normal because you were made to live deeply. Good morning. It is good to see you. Good to be with you. If you're new with our church, visiting for the first time today, my name is James Forsyth. We're really glad that you're here. We hope and pray that you'll leave feeling it was good for you to have been here with us today. Church family, I wanted to let you know that this afternoon I have the opportunity to join with Sarong Church of Knoxville. This is the Korean church that meets here on our campus. You know, we have a, another church that meets in our facilities on Sunday afternoons. And as we've just celebrated our 225th birthday this week, they are celebrating their 10th birthday. And so I'm going to go and share greetings with them on, on your behalf. And it's a, it's a great thing because to reach a, a region, to reach a place like Knoxville, you need some large established churches and you also need some church plants and you need churches of all sizes in between as well as some parachurch ministries, Young Life and all the rest. Together, we're about one kingdom work here in this place and it's a, a privilege for us to, to partner with them. And we'll all soon have the opportunity to worship with them, with Sarong Korean Church because the Sunday after Thanksgiving, we are gonna have a joint service with them here in, in our sanctuary. You'll hear more details about that as the time approaches, but we're, we're looking forward to that time. But for today, it's back to the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. Jesus is showing us how to live deeply in the kingdom of God. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Week by week, we've been seeing Jesus call us not just to settle for, for life as normal, not to get so caught up in the business and the busyness of life that we end up running around from one thing to the next without even pausing to consider whether the lives we're leading are even the lives we ourselves want to live. And Jesus is calling us into something better, something deeper. He's showing us his grace and how his grace changes everything, showing us how the best life is a life where we are loved and led by him. Now in Matthew 6, we're entering a section of the sermon where Jesus is going to talk to us about some of the things he wants us to do when no one else is looking. Some of the things we're to do when no one else is looking. Several years ago, I did a short sermon series on this section called Secrets, because in this section, Jesus is going to call us to do some things in secret. We'll see three of them over the next three weeks together. Today, we start with the first in Matthew 6, starting in verse 1. Jesus talking to us says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let 
your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Father, I ask that as we consider your word together for brief moments this morning, that we would see Jesus and that he would be true and good and beautiful to our hearts and to our souls, that we would understand more of his love for us and its implications for our lives. We pray in his perfect name. Amen. Postsecret.com is the largest advertisement-free blog in the world. And it's a kind of community art project where week by week, people mail in secrets anonymously to the host who then selects a a collection of these every Sunday and posts these anonymous secrets online. Now, a whole load of different things end up appearing on this website. Some of, take these three examples. Some of the, the secrets are sad. My biggest fear is that if I have a daughter, she will inherit my eating disorder. Some of the secrets are silly. Don't you love love this one? Barista at Starbucks. I give decaf to customers who are rude to me. (laughs) Y'all better behave when you go to Starbucks, okay? Come on. Some of the secrets are, are shocking. My son has imaginary older siblings, a boy and a girl. Sometimes I think they are ghosts from my two abortions, and I don't know if they are there to haunt me or to tell me that they're okay. The weight of secrecy that so many of us carry around day in, day out in our, in our routine lives. Do you have a secret? What is it that you might be tempted to mail in? Well, of course, ordinarily in the Christian life, secrets are to be avoided. Why? Because the gospel brings so much freedom. The gospel brings freedom to us so that the Christian life is to be marked by transparency, marked by honesty, marked even by vulnerability. We no longer have to pretend to be something other than the beautiful mess that that we in fact are. The gospel frees us to live our lives without pretending. But Jesus is going to show us that sometimes secrets have their place. Look at verse one there with me. Beware, Jesus says, of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. We're never told to keep our failures hidden. Jesus never encourages us to try and keep our shame and our guilt somehow stuffed in inside. He brings us freedom to be, to be honest and transparent as, as we live our lives. But here he does tell us to keep our acts of righteousness hidden. Now, why the secrecy? What's all this about? Well, Jesus is going to give us three examples over the coming weeks of the kind of acts of righteousness he wants us to practice in secret. We're going to see the first example this week and see two things. First, what Jesus wants us to do in secret. And second, why he wants us to do this in secret. What does he want us to do? Why does he want us to do it? Let's dive in together in verse two. What are we to do in secret? Jesus answers verse two, we're to be secretly generous. 
be secretly generous. If we were to pull back the curtain of your life, pull back the curtain of, of my life, see what you're really like and what I'm really like when nobody else is looking, we should find that we are secretly generous people. All of us want to be generous people. And Jesus tells us that we should be. In fact, he assumes that we will be. Look at verse two. He says, when you give to the needy, not if you give to the needy, but when you give to the needy, he assumes that we'll be generous people. Now, why does Jesus assume that believers will be generous? First of all, it's important to say, not because Jesus doesn't talk about money in order to manipulate it out of us. He's not some kind of TV preacher, right? Forget a private jet. Jesus didn't even have anywhere to lay his head. So he doesn't talk to us about money and, and generosity in order to try and manipulate us. No, why does he assume we'll be generous? Jesus assumes we'll be generous because of the gospel. Because of how the gospel of grace works. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian this morning, you know the grace of Jesus. You know how kind he's been to you and un how undeserved his, his kindness has been. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the story of grace that we have a lavishly wealthy God who is pleased to marshal all of his resources for the welfare and the benefit of his children, for my welfare, for your welfare. We have Jesus who is even prepared to leave the wealth of heaven and experience poverty on earth so that what? We who experience poverty on earth might hope to experience the wealth of of heaven. We have a Jesus who has come and been lavishly generous to us. And because he has been so generous to us, we in turn become generous to others. Randy Alcorn says, as thunder follows lightning, generosity follows grace. Why does Jesus assume we'll be generous? Because of the dynamics of, of the gospel because of the dynamics of grace, that we are people who have been given all things, then find it natural in turn to be generous with, with our things. That there is a, a, a dynamic at play here where his generosity towards us inevitably makes us more generous toward others. That in time, we mature to be more like Jesus. We mature to be more like God, which means we mature to become more generous. This is why he assumes we'll be generous. Now, there are a couple of important implications um, that, that come with this assumption. The first implication is for those who, who wouldn't describe themselves as Christians. If you're here this morning and you, and you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian, it's really important for you to understand that according to the Bible, we are generous because of what we have first received. In other words, I would actually ask you not to give to this church, but instead first to receive from the God of this church. That you would first receive grace from, from his hand. That you 
like the rest of us in, in, in your brokenness and sin, would receive forgiveness from him. And only once you've received that forgiveness and that, that life, would you then turn to, to begin to be generous toward others. The request for you would be not to give until you've received, not to give until you first receive grace from his hands. Second implication for those who would describe themselves as Christians, um, just Jesus' assumption is striking. It's an assumption of, of grace. It's a response to his kindness toward us, but he does assume that we'll be generous. So in other words, generosity isn't the thing that like the super hardcore, slightly crazy Christians over there do. I'm not talking about you guys. I mean, like <laughs> generosity, it's something that normal everyday average Christians like me and you do. This is a, a natural ebb and flow that comes in the Christian life. We're to be generous, but back to verse two, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward in full. When you're generous and Jesus assumes that we will be, don't feel the need to advertise it. And isn't the illustration Jesus uses just, just a powerful one? He says, imagine people striding through the streets, sounding trumpets before them to draw attention to how much they're in fact about to give. So we had the orchestra, we had brass this morning. Imagine right before, as I'm writing my check, I have them strike up a song and say, hey, 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 guys, look, look at my generosity. Look, look how, you know, just kind and generous I, I am. Jesus says, no, don't be that way. Don't make a big song and dance out of your giving so that you're only giving in order for everyone else to know how generous you are. If you do that, Jesus says, you're a hypocrite. And, you know, see if you've had bad experiences with the church. See if you've had bad experiences with, with hypocrites. You should know that um, no one has a harder time with hypocrites than Jesus. And in this text, he's calling us hypocrites out. Don't do things just to get the recognition of others. If you do, your generosity is a sham. If you do that, in fact, you've already received your reward in full. It makes sense, doesn't it? He's saying, if you only gave so that other people would praise you, then when they praise you, you've already, you, you then have the very thing you wanted in the first place. And so you've received your reward in full. Instead, Jesus says, instead, verse three, he invites us into something deeper, something better. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in Secrets. We're to be secretly generous. And again, isn't it a, a powerful picture, a powerful illustration that, that Jesus uses? Your giving is to be so humble, so indiscreet, so like so so discreet, so behind the scenes that it's as if even your left hand doesn't know how much your right hand has given. Of course, that's not to be taken literally. It's, a, it's an illustration of how humble our giving is to be. We give, but we don't take pride in it. We have humble hearts of gratitude where we're glad to share 
from all that we've received. It's the heartbeat of Christ for us. It's for us to become more like him, who is generous towards his children and calls his children to be generous in turn. Okay, that's the first thing. What are we to do? Be secretly generous. Second thing though, why are we to do it? And why are we to do it in secret? We've already seen, of course, that the primary motivation for our generosity is the gospel itself, the dynamic of of grace that we receive in Jesus. But don't miss what Jesus adds here in verse four. Do you see it there? If your giving is in secret, verse four, your father who sees in secret will reward you. So God sees in secret. We don't have to say, Imagine you could pull back the curtain. Imagine we could see what you and I are really like. The curtain is invisible to God and he already knows what we are really like. And when he catches his children doing the things that he's called them to do, what does he do? He will reward you. He will reward us. The father likes to catch his children doing right. Which is also, as a side note, such an important parenting principle. Catch your children doing right and praise them when they are, when they are doing well. Don't, don't always be, be the one who's, who, who's appearing with a scowl. Celebrate your kids when, when they are doing well. That's how our father loves to deal with us. When he catches his children doing right, he loves to reward us. Now, some Christians get kind of uncomfortable with this idea that God will reward us when we follow him. Um, partly because... For some Christians, it, doesn't, it just doesn't sound like particularly holy. Like if you're only obeying because you're going to get a reward, that, that doesn't sound very holy. In fact, your obedience should be as miserable as possible. And that will really demonstrate just how holy you are. Right? <laughs> now, friends, there is a place, of course, of, of suffering in the, Christian, in the Christian life. And the scriptures talk about that. But they also talk about the great, joy that the Lord takes in us. And the fact that he rewards us when we live as he's called us to live is, is an aspect of his heart toward us. Like that, the happy hearted God who is pleased with his children. Does, does it please you to give good gifts to your children? How much more do you think it pleases the father's heart to, to give good gifts to, to his own? Um, the fact that he would reward us for living as he has called us is evidence of the fact that he is the God who loves to give grace upon grace. So he rewards us. The question then becomes, how? How does God reward secret generosity? Well, later in the same passage, Jesus is going to show us two ways. God rewards our secret generosity in two ways with two things that money could never buy. Look at verses 19 through 24. First of all, we see in verse 19 that God rewards secret generosity with freedom here on earth. Freedom here on earth. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. According to Jesus, what happens to our earthly possessions? What happens to material things? Well, first, moth and rust destroy. Several years ago, a pastor friend and I went to CarMax and uh, we both bought uh, cars on the same day. I kid you not, within two weeks, some dude backed into my car at a gas station, right? And then a tree branch fell on my buddy's new truck. 
And we just felt like, Lord, <laughs> stuff, it doesn't, it doesn't last. If it does last, then thieves might break in and steal. That same summer, a different pastor friend of mine had his laptop stolen from the church, right? Um, moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal. Here's the point Jesus is making. Stuff doesn't have the capacity to make us happy. Why? Because the human heart has been created with an infinite capacity for joy. Your heart, God has made, he has, he has placed eternity in the hearts of men and women. And he has created your heart with a desire for, for joy and, and meaning and purpose and love that can never be satisfied by material things can only be satisfied in God himself and in a relationship with God himself that will last for eternity. That's the only place that our hearts can, can be filled. And so Jesus says, don't buy into the lie that material things will make you happy. The Bible tells us that. Of course, the secular research backs that up. Study after study shows how money will make you happy to a point and then no farther. And in fact, people who are generous report higher levels of happiness. And while most of us believe it, most of us also have a hard time living like it's true. There's a gap between what we say we believe and, and how we actually live because so many of us get caught up in the rat race. So many of us spend so much of our lives pursuing things that in the end bring so little joy. The lie that happiness is going to be found on the other side of this next possession, the phone, the car, the home, whatever it may be. The lie that happiness is going to be found when you have that fully funded 529 for your kids or 401k for, your, for yourselves. The, happy, the, the, the lie that happiness is going to be found in just some version of a little bit more. How much more do you need? Just a little bit. Just a little bit more. And Jesus says, you know that game doesn't work. You know that game. You don't even think this is a good idea. And generosity is the antidote. How do you free yourself from the hope and the lie that, that materialism and possessions will make you happy? Jesus says, don't just sit on a rock and try and make yourself believe it. No, the antidote is to be generous and to give your things away. That if materialism is, is the heart attack, generosity is exercise. It is the thing we do in practice in order to free ourselves from that great lie. The thing we do in practice in order to free ourselves from that trap, when you're generous, you order your life, you order your life around those things that matter the most to you. And in so doing, you experience a freedom from the deception that happiness is found here on earth. What does Jesus reward generosity with? First, freedom on earth. Second, and very briefly, verse 20, God also rewards generosity with treasure in heaven. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Why, Jesus? Well, there neither moth nor rust destroys, and there thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus tells us that the, the long-term return on earthly treasure is just really poor. 
When we preached from this passage early in the year, I shared that anecdote that's told about John D. Rockefeller. Uh, at that time, one of the, the wealthiest men alive, well, he, he died and someone asked his accountant, oh, how much money did John D. leave? And the answer came, you remember, all of it. All of it. You don't take any with you. At best, you have a, a 60-year investment strategy. And Jesus says, yeah, while those returns are very poor, do you know the long-term return on generosity accrues into eternity? It's a 60 billion year investment strategy where we invest our resources now in a way that will make sense in light of eternity. This is why Augustine said that the bellies of the poor are a better investment than the stock market. If you invest in the stock market, you may get some earthly gains. But if you invest in the bellies of the poor, you will accrue eternal gains. And Jesus says, live your life in light of that great reality. Of course, it's not a sin to plan or save. Those things are wise. Those things are necessary. But it is also wise and necessary for us to order our financial lives in a way that makes sense, not of the trumpet we experience from others, but from the trumpet call of God that is coming when Christ returns. Christ who died is risen and will come again. And so we test ourselves. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe and are we ordering our lives in a way that makes sense of heaven? In a way that doesn't make much sense were it not for heaven. God will reward your secret generosity with freedom on earth and treasure in heaven. Wrapping up, simple question. Um, are we doing this? Are we secretly generous? Are we this kind of people are we this kind of, of church? May God give us the grace to be so. May we continue to fill the bellies of the needy, fill the bellies of the poor, be a blessing to this community, be a blessing to the nations Christ came for. Jesus is inviting us to be the kind of people and to be the kind of church we actually want to be. And so may he give us grace to make it so as we practice secret generosity. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do pray for um, grace. First, to understand the, the great love and affection you have for us. That, Lord, you, you came to earth not to give us a to-do list, but to make sure that everything was done so that we can enjoy relationship with you, not just now, but even in heaven. And Lord, then we pray for grace upon grace to understand how this gospel should change our lives, that we might live in light of eternity, not for the shallow, superficial praise and the trumpet of today, but live lives in a way that will make sense at the trumpet of eternity. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.